We're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned out. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> our sponsor for this episode is our 14-day video script challenge. Yes, we are sponsoring our own show. Yes, we are. <laughs> Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm your co-host, Benton Crane, and I'm here with a special guest today, Jake Jacobson. Yes. Welcome, Jake. Thank you very much. So Jake is the Director of Public Relations at Children's Mercy in Kansas City. Yep. Tell us what that means. Sure. So as Director of PR, I basically help tell our stories. You know, we've got uh, a PR team that I lead of four of us, but we're part of a department of 30. And we're always just looking for our best way to tell our stories. So the way I like to tell people is that I wear three hats on this oversized head of mine, uh, national media, social media, and civic engagement. So whether it's through the New York Times or Facebook or a chamber luncheon, we just want to tell our stories to as many audiences as possible. And Children's Mercy is a hospital, right? It is. It's a nonprofit children's hospital right there in Kansas City. Um, and so part of that storytelling is even to remind people that we're a nonprofit, you know, and let people know that because we take care of every child, regardless of their ability to pay, it's a way for us to be able to remind the community that thanks to their support, we're able to do that. Gotcha. So how much does the hospital rely on donors for that? Quite a bit. I mean, so it, I, the last number I heard was that it takes $3 million a day to run our hospital. And uh, I think, and don't quote me on this, I guess if I'm on camera, I'm being quoted. There's a good portion, I'll say, of our kids who are either underinsured or uninsured, um, just with Medicaid and Medicare shortages. Um, it, it just creates problems. But we don't want to ask the families, how are you going to pay for this? We want to ask the families, how can we help? And so we start there and then we'll figure out how we cover it later. Um, so yeah, it's, it is because we're the only, uh, freestanding children's hospital between St. Louis and Denver. We're taking care of all of Missouri or half of Missouri, all of Kansas. And so it's a pretty big region wow. that we're taking care of. And again, if you think of some of those areas where kids might not have the best insurance plans, um, we just want to still be able to take care of them. Wow. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So do you have a lot of cases that are being, flown in or or, or brought in from surrounding hospitals. We do. We have a very active critical care transport team uh, that has two jets, a helicopter, um, and then a fleet of ambulances. And so depending on how far, and we'll get kids from across the country depending on what they need from us, because there are a few different things that we do that are kind of that, you know, best in care. And, you know, in some cases, just a handful of uh, hospitals in the nation do those things. And so we want to make sure that they have access to it. Got it. So you've got children who are the patients. Yep. You've got doctors. Yep. What stories are you telling? So we try to do either, you know, really innovative care um, or just really powerful stories of resilience. Uh, one of my favorite stories of innovation is uh, there's a, a, um, a condition called HLHS. So it's hypoplastic left heart syndrome. It's babies that are born with basically half a heart. And they're going to need three surgeries before they're three or four years old. And um, in between those surgeries, the babies are very, very frail. And But the traditional care was to send them home, give mom and dad a three-ring binder, pen and paper, and basically have them do all of the different, um, all the different analytics. You know, so they're trying to measure um, oxygen levels and uh, height and weight, all those different things. And they're recording it in a binder, and it's up to them to look for anomalies and decide whether to make the drive, sometimes hours long drive to Children's Mercy to get their baby checked out. And so what was happening across the nation, one out of four, one out of five of those babies were dying between those surgeries. And that just isn't right. And so 
our uh, doctors and our IT team actually put together a program called CHAMP using a Microsoft Surface where they can do at-home monitoring. And so as they're entering in all of those uh, all those vitals, yep, um, as they're entering all those in, they get sent directly back to our nursing team, to our doctor team, and they're able to watch them in real time and they can decide whether there's red flags. And so in the first couple of years after we rolled that out, that number went down from 20% to zero. Wow. And so it truly was life-saving. Um, and what was great about it was, uh, as far as the storytelling aspect of it goes, the very first graduate of the program is a little guy named Winston, and uh, he's become my little buddy. Um, I've actually known him since before he was born. His family's fantastic. Um, and we asked his family if we could follow his story. And of course, they were you know, excited and proud to do it to teach other families because uh -huh. uh, you hear that your baby's going to be born with half a heart. That's a scary diagnosis. Um, and so in tracking Winston's story, Microsoft themselves reached out to us at one point and said they wanted to do a customer partner testimonial video. And they asked if I had a good story. And I was like, oh, I've got a great story. You know, I've got Winston, HLHS, uh, this champ app that's saving lives, you know. Um, and so Microsoft came and filmed the video and put it together. And it's it's amazing. Um, and it's just a really powerful look at both the technology and the human side of it. And Satya Nadella actually featured it in one of his keynote speeches at a global conference and uh, because it was such a powerful video. And so then that's when people were just uh, introduced to champ in a new way. That's amazing. Where can our listeners go to find that video? So they can go to YouTube and you can search for Children's Mercy Champ app. Um, or if this gets, you know, we, we can also share it on social. I, I love tweeting that thing out. Uh, but it, it is, it makes me cry every time I watch it. And he, just the cutest little guy. Um, and he's doing great now. And so it's, it's great. Um, in fact, I was at that conference and somebody came up to me and they saw my name tag and they said, oh, Children's Mercy, you save the babies. And I was like, well, I don't. Yes. Yes, I do. I figure, you know, one Facebook post at a time. Uh, but no, but it was a really great testament to the teamwork between our doctors, nurses and our IT team that developed it. That's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Yes. Um, okay. But some of these stories have got to be pretty, pretty sensitive. How do you navigate what you do share, what you don't share, what you can share and what you can't share? Sure. So everything we do is with parents' consent, obviously, uh, uh, thanks to HIPAA. We want to make sure that we've consented everything. Um, we've done it three seasons of a documentary series, in fact, um, Inside Pediatrics. And you can see these stories at InsidePediatrics.com. But what we do there is we just go around to families that have these, we can tell they're having these remarkable stories to tell. And we ask them. And I remember when I started, I thought that there'd be a lot of pushback from families that really didn't want to have their stories recorded and shared. But what I found is that these families who are going through just these remarkable uh, situations and really tough situations, they want to be able to tell other families, you're not alone. You know, I remember, you know, meeting with some of these HLHS families and they thought we're the only ones we'd ever heard of with this. And then as soon as we started sharing these stories, then other families start coming together and realizing I'm not the only one that has this specific condition. So we consent the heck out of it. Um, and then we kind of check with them as it goes on, because we have had some really tough situations. You know, not all stories have happy endings. Mm -hmm. And what amazes me is those families we stay in touch with and we keep asking and they've all this, the strength and grace of families who lose their kids and yet want to help tell that story so that it can be uplifting or educational or inspirational for other families just always blows me away. And that's where I get a, a good daily shot of perspective where I realize I don't, I don't have much to complain about, you know, like in my day to day life, I'm not going to complain about overlapping meetings or a overflowing inbox when I walk our halls and I see what these families are going through and that they are handling it with better 
you know, stress than some people handle their daily commute. Um, and so, yeah, we, we're very sensitive to the families, very sensitive to obviously any type of legal concerns. Um, but our doctors are great too. Like they allow us access. Um, they realize the power of storytelling and they realize how that can help other families. And so they give us just ridiculous access. Um, and because we're a children's hospital, like all of our doctors and nurses, caregivers and staff are there for the right reasons. You don't find a lot of jerks in pediatrics, you know? And so when we ask, they realize that we're helping them as well. Um, and so without any ego in the room, it's a lot easier to tell those stories. Talk to us about the creative process that either you or your team uses to tell these stories. Obviously sure. the story is what it is. Yep. But that doesn't mean that you as a storyteller don't have the ability to apply creativity to it as you're putting it together and presenting it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's a great question. So like I said, there's about 30 of us in our communications and marketing department, and we all have slightly different roles, but yet we all work really closely together. Because if you think about it, a children's hospital, we're both, you know, talking to our families, obviously, and primarily moms, you know, nothing against dads, but moms usually make the decisions. Um, and so our consumer audience is that mom of kids. Um, but then we're also talking to the referring physicians who are sending their kids our way. And so storytelling can take on a few different forms. If we're talking, you know, a little bit more emotional and a little more inspirational, we're probably doing that to our consumer audience to teach mom that you're sending your kids to the best place. On the physician side, we're probably a little more technical, a little more clinical. And so our medical marketing team might take those stories and kind of shape them into something that would resonate more with referring physicians that might not have their heartstrings tugged at as much, but you can see their light bulbs turn on their head. Um, so we just have all of these great dotted lines throughout the hospital uh, because obviously none of us can be in you know more than one place at, at once. And so we kind of have different liaisons throughout the hospital that really understand the value of PR, of marketing, of video, of digital, of social, all those different areas that we tackle. And they come to us with stories, you know, or we'll send, you know, we meet up with them every now and then, or even pass by them in the hall. You know, like there are times where I'm in the cafeteria and I'll bump into somebody and they're like, oh, I'm about to have this new paper published um, about this new breakthrough in rheumatology. And I'm like, tell me more. You know, it's like, while we're standing in line at the salad bar, tell me more. And then they'll tell me about it. And the great thing about not having background in healthcare on my end, uh, because I came from a consumer tech background, is that I get to play the role of the audience. And so then if the story doesn't make sense to me. It's probably not going to make sense to a reporter. It's probably not going to make sense to that viewer or reader. And so that's kind of where, or a casual Facebook follower. And so I get to not necessarily dumb it down, but make it relatable and accessible. And so we go out and someone from our department will go and kind of get the core facts, get that kind of core content, bring it back. Every Monday morning, we meet as a whole department and we talk about kind of what's been on our radar. You know, what conversations have we had with different doctors? And you can see different people's eyes and ears perk up because they're like, ooh, I've been looking for a nephrology case to focus for, you know, Dr. Wardy. And so then we'll get together and maybe it's video plus medical marketing that puts together a quick little uh, podcast. Maybe it's um, my content manager, who's kind of our in-house reporter, who essentially writes blog articles that can then be shared throughout all the different channels. But everybody just kind of tackles it. But yeah, it's if you were to do a Venn diagram of our department, it would just be one big cluster because it's everybody's always working together. Um, so we take those stories and we kind of figure out what is the best way to tell it to whichever audience. Um, can it be done just through a social media post or does it really need to be, um, you know, in that Inside Pediatrics documentary series? So, 
do you have a a platform that you lean on more than the others um, in terms of you know traditional media, social sure. media, documentary? What? Um, not really. So the documentary we've done three times over five years. So that's kind of a special case. Um, but that is where we are able to tell kind of our more. Um, elaborate stories that you can't do on a billboard. Get into the details. Yeah, absolutely. Where you can follow somebody for months. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say on our social side, we use Facebook kind of as that scrapbook, you know, where we'll put it up there because it can percolate up and down. Um, LinkedIn, we've really started using that more to reach those physician audiences because they're probably not following us on Facebook, probably not on Twitter. Um, but they're connected to us on LinkedIn. Right. And also that makes it easier for our individual doctors to share it with a little more credibility because it's them uh, sharing it instead of just the Children's Mercy brand. Uh, We do a lot of local media. We do, I mean, national media is just hard to crack because everybody's trying to, you know, get the same set of eyes on them. And unless you're first or fastest or can really just tell that compelling story, um, it's it's a little more difficult to get their attention. Uh, But at the same time, when you, when you have one of those great stories, we've seen it where getting local media coverage then suddenly gets picked up by the Associated Press, then gets sent around. Um, we've had a couple stories on CNN recently that were triggered because they saw it somewhere else. Uh, or even one of our, this is one of my favorite examples. Uh, there was a time where it was one of these summers where we'd have more severe lawnmower injuries than we'd had. So by May 30th, we'd had more severe lawnmower injuries. And if you think about this, this is a horrible mental image, right? Um, so these are kids who are getting cut up by the lawnmower, um, their hands, their feet. Um, and these are life altering injuries. Well, this is terrible. It's ter- terrible. And so one of our surgeons reached out to us and said, what can we do about this? We need to get this story in the media. And so we were still thinking kind of old school at the time. It's like, we need to put together a media advisory or a press release about this. And so we're crafting a press release, um, not really knowing how to do it. And the next day the doctor calls us again. He's like, we just had another one. What have you guys done? And so we just decided, all right, forget the media. We're just going to put this on social, you know, and share it directly with the community. And so we shared, we said, scary stat by June 1st, we have had as many serious lawnmower injuries as we had all of last year. And they're 100% preventable because you keep the kids away from the lawnmower. Right. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. And yet you'll see, you know, mom or dad has kiddo on the lap while they're doing the riding lawnmower and kids can slip off, Mm -hmm. you know, our kids are having a water balloon fight on the yard while grandpa's mowing and he can't hear what's happening behind him, you know? Right. And so again, horrible mental images. And so we shared that and a couple local media saw it on our uh, social. Uh, somebody saw it on, I think they both saw it on Twitter. And so they both did stories on it. One of those was an ABC affiliate. The next day, Good Morning America calls and says, hey, we heard about this lawnmower injury, you know, and how you're alerting the community. Could we send a crew and talk to your surgeon and talk to one of the families? I'm just like, when Good Morning America calls and asks if they can send a crew, you clear your schedule, right? Right, right. Um, But it was this great example of, in us almost trying to skip the media and just use social, we ended up getting national media coverage just because it was an important story to tell. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to, right? Is right. the quality of the story that yes. you're telling. Yeah. I mean, you can, have a, you can have bad content and put a bunch of money behind it. It doesn't make it better content. Right. You know, but that's why we always just, I, I like to say, if I wouldn't want to read this, I don't want to write it. You know, and so that's, you know, and I, I know we were talking about what makes great content or whatever. And yeah, you've got that kind of gut of if this bores me, it's going to bore my reader or viewer, you know? Okay. So shifting gears, I want to talk about you. Okay. Let's talk about Jake. All right. Tell us how you arrived where you're at. How did you end up in this role and in this position? Sure, the, the long and winding road. Um, yeah. So I did, uh, after getting my, uh, 
bachelor's and master's at Iowa State University. I worked at a newspaper there in town and decided I didn't really like newspapers, but I wanted to move to Kansas City. And the job that was available was at a newspaper. And so I worked at the Kansas City Star in their sports department as a designer and editor. Um, loved it, but working nights, weekends, holidays. Uh, then was promoted to uh, news editor and copy chief. And loved working with the people and loved getting to share those stories. But again, the hours were kind of killing me. And then I saw this opening at Garmin, the GPS company, for outdoor and fitness PR. And so even though I had no PR background, I felt like I could tell some good stories. And I'd always been a, a runner. I'd always been a hiker. I'd done a little bit of cycling. Um, and so I applied and I got the job at Garmin uh, just because they could see that I could be a good storyteller about these products. You know, and not just selling products, but telling why the products could help people out. Yep. Um, and so then when I got to Garmin, I ended up, you know, running Chicago Marathon on 10 weeks notice because I opened my mouth and tried to, <laughs> you know, show off a little bit and suddenly had to put, you know, literally walk the walk or run the run. Um, so I did Chicago on 10 weeks, which now this fall, I'm going to be doing Chicago again. Now will be my 16th marathon. So I kind of got hooked on that. Was that your first? That was my first. Yeah. I'd never wow. done one. 10 weeks of prep for 10 your weeks first of marathon. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is a don't do what I do. You know, like that was really <laughs> dumb of me. Um, and there's a fun story of connecting with people there. So we had a watch called the Forerunner 405, and it was the first touch bezel watch. I mean, now, you know, everything's touchscreen. Sure. But at the time, it was the first touch bezel watch, and it was brilliant. And we got What a, year is this? This was 2008, I okay. believe. Yeah. Um, we got a ton of press about it, and uh, but people didn't know how to use it. So people were buying it and sending it back because they weren't reading the owner's manual. And so we were talking to our friends in product support, and they kind of said, you know, if people could just see how to use this, They'd realize that it's not broken. They just have to know how to use it. So we started doing essentially YouTube tutorials before they were a thing. And uh, I mean, we weren't the first, but they weren't as commonplace as they are now with unboxing videos and everything. And so I would be there saying, hi, I'm Jake from Garmin. I'm going to teach you how to set up your auto partner on, on your 405. And so we did a series of those. They caught fire. Everybody was watching them. And so at the 2008 uh, New York City Marathon, this guy walks up to our Garmin booth and I'm working the booth. And he's snapping pictures. And so I'm trying to get out of his way because we have a beautiful booth. And I try to get out of his way. I realize he's snapping pictures of me. <laughs> and he said to me, he goes, hello, my name is Miklos. I come from Greece to run the marathon. You're Jake. You taught me to use my watch. Could I get a picture with you? <laughs> and it's just because of YouTube that a dude in Greece was over learning how to use his new watch um, because we helped him learn. So the majority of people are in jobs that they hate, Right. What is it that inspires you about your role and brings out the passion that you're showing us? Sure. So I think at Garmin, it was getting to know the runners and cyclists that were using our products and hearing them go from couch to 5K to half marathon to amazing weight loss, you know, all those different things. and Life-changing life -changing, things. Uh, life-changing things through a $250 watch that they bought, you know, um, because then it's no longer about the watch. It's about them. At the hospital, it's easy. I mean, walk the halls. And I can see that, I mean, we see 600,000 patient encounters a year. And I always say that's 600,000 potential stories, just like with our 8,000 employees, that's 8,000 potential stories. So getting to the heart of the people is what gets me fired up. And so when I'm telling those family stories, um, then that's when it becomes personal. And so then I can't mail it in, you know, and, and it's literally life changing and it's literally people. life changing. Yeah. In fact, there was one family, um, who their uh, six-year-old, I think at the time, six-year-old son fighting cancer started a project called Noah's Bandage Project to collect colorful band-aids for kids fighting cancer. 
Because he's like, if you're a kid fighting cancer, you shouldn't have a boring brown Band-Aid. And how can you argue with that logic, right? And so he started collecting colorful Band-Aids to give to a fellow patients or give to Ronald McDonald House. Um, and I got to know that family really, really well. Um, Noah beat cancer, but then it came back and Noah lost his battle. But again, in one of these great examples of a family showing strength and grace, they wanted to keep Noah's Bandage Project going strong. And they actually tapped me to be a celebrity dancer for a Dancing with the Stars benefit in honor of Noah's Bandage Project. And that's when I realized that, and that was outside of my job. You know, like mm-hmm. obviously everybody at work supported and was cheering for me. But you but had connected with them. That's, that's on my own time, but it's because I connected with that family and because I knew that there are other families that are being touched by what Noah's Bandage Project is doing, then, then it becomes personal. So yeah, I think, in fact, I even told, and this is actually a great question for any recruiters out there. Uh, when I was getting hired at the hospital, they asked me, what are three things you're looking for in your career? You know, take this job out of the mix for a second. What are three things you're looking for? My first one was that I had to live and breathe the brand. You know, I can't be somebody who could go work for XYZ Inc. And then at the end of the day, be like, oh, I'm so tired of talking about that. Um, that's just not my personality. Maybe that makes me a worse PR person that I can't do that, um, but I'll take it. Or maybe it makes you more authentic. <laughs> or maybe it makes you more authentic because I actually care about what I'm talking about. Um, the second thing was I wanted to be surrounded by people uh, who, who were supportive above, below, laterally, so that the way that I look good isn't to make you look bad. The way that I look good is to make you look even better. And then you realize that we're both kind of helping each other grow. And then the third thing was, I'm a big Kansas City guy. Like, I I love Kansas City. And I wanted to be somewhere where I am helping the community grow. At the same time, I'm helping my brand grow. And at Children's Mercy, I mean, not only are we interwoven into everything that Kansas City does, but you're literally helping the community grow, you know, by taking care of the next generation. Um, So those three things have been kind of my rudder because I've been approached by other opportunities from time to time. And if I don't get that excited about all three of those things, then I'm like, why would I leave? That's fantastic. So Jake, I know your time is valuable and I want to, I want to be super respectful of that. So a couple of last final questions. Sure. Do you have any up and coming projects that you want to tell our listeners about? Oh, so yes. Um, so NPR spent a month with us last summer and uh, their new season of Invisibilia uh, which is Elise Spiegel uh, hosts it. And they spent time talking to our RAPS patients, which is um, rehabilitation for amplified pain. So these are usually teen girls who have had injuries, but have the injuries have healed, but the pain subsides or the pain uh, remains. And so whether neurological, physiological, whatever, these girls are in severe pain, but there's doctors have no cure for it. And so they come through this program and they overcome the pain uh, through a series of different treatments and invisibilia called us up and we just wanted to do a quick interview, but the more they learned about it, they wanted to spend some more time on site. I believe that the entire first episode of the new season of invisibilia is going to be all about our raps program and kids right there in Kansas city, or that came to Kansas city from around the country for this program. So yeah, check out NPR's invisibilia. I'm super excited about that. And where can our listeners go to learn more about your work? Sure. So they can go to childrensmercy.org and they can learn more about Children's Mercy. We have a newsroom there where we share editorial coverage, but also our own stories, obviously all of our social channels. And for me, if you want to see the hijinks that I'm up to at any given time, I'm Jake's Journal on Twitter. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. So make sure to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next one. As entrepreneurs and small businesses, we all kind of reach that point where we know we've created something awesome and we want to share it with the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that very next step that can oftentimes be really intimidating 
or really scary or you just don't know where to go next, right? And the beautiful thing about this 14-day script challenge is you get your hand held from, okay, you have this cool product, now let's go research and find the exact way to present it and message it to the world in a way that resonates and gets people excited and they're ready to swipe their credit card and purchase. And in the 14-day script challenge, you get the opportunity to go through that step-by-step with our writers who have done it dozens and dozens of times. You actually watch us go through each of the steps ourselves and create it with a real client, a real product, and um, it's a real campaign that's out there that's been very successful. That's right. And the feedback that we've had on this thing has just been phenomenal. I mean, we get comment after comment and emails flowing in from people all over the world who have just uh, raved about the impact that this has had on their business. People tell us over and people tell us over and over again it is just a huge value punch for the investment for this 14-day script challenge and and really gave them the tool set they needed to walk through it and make it happen. And we've had um, we've had dozens of students who have successfully taken the challenge, written their script, launched their ad campaigns, and driven success for their business. It's pretty amazing. For more information, go to hpros.co slash script.